Hey, Rarecast listeners, join us for Global Genes Live, a rare patient advocacy unsummit, September 14th to the 25th. This two-week virtual event will feature a variety of interactive and educational events, meetups, workshops, and performances. Whether you're a rare disease veteran or new to the community, we invite you to connect and engage with us and others through interactive activities. To learn more, visit globalgenes.org forward slash live. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When Sandra Bedrosian-Sermon grew frustrated by the slow pace of a drug developer working to advance a potential therapy for ADNP, a rare condition her son has, she and another parent of a child with a neurodevelopmental disorder began to search for a potential drug to repurpose. Their work suggested low doses of the powerful anesthetic ketamine could upregulate activity of the ADNP gene and provide benefit to patients. Now, a clinical trial of low-dose ketamine is getting underway thanks to their efforts. We spoke to Pedrosian Simone, founder and president of the ADNP Kids Research Foundation, about ADNP, her efforts to find a potential treatment for it, and how a patient advocate without formal science training can alter the therapeutic landscape for a rare disease. Sandra, thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about ADNP syndrome and your efforts to repurpose an off-patent and easily available therapy to treat it. Let's start with ADNP syndrome, though. For people not familiar with the condition, what is it? Um, let me first give you a quick summary of the ADNP gene so you can understand the condition a little uh, in relation to our current drug trial. Um, the ADMP gene is actually called the activity-dependent neuroprotective protein gene, and it was discovered about 20 years ago uh, or so by a neuroscientist named Ilana Gozes in Tel Aviv University, and the um, syndrome was discovered in about 2015, in early 2015. It is a master brain gene and is highly expressed. It affects brain formation, connectivity, development, brain function. Um, some of the things it does as is it acts as um, protein protecting nerve cells against electrical blockage, which is like the electrical connections of your brain. And um, it is a regulator of things like transport and dendrite plasticity. So all these things, super important for the brain. Um, it's associated with something called RNA transcriptions and splicing. And it interacts with something called tau, which has been associated with bad things like neurodegeneration. And um, the icing on the cake of this gene is that it also regulates over 400 other genes. So it not only affects the brain, but also numerous organs and functions of the body. Um, so when the genes mutated, it causes a syndrome where most of the children are in a haploinsufficiency state. 
and it causes a loss of function of the ADMP protein. So I like to break this down in mom terms, which is uh, which means one of the two copies of the ADMP gene that has a mutation or deletion has created this bad situation in which the total level of the gene protein produced is about half of the normal level, and it's not sufficient to allow normal function. So when this happens, it causes ADMP syndrome. How does that manifest itself and progress? First, at first, uh, most families don't realize that uh, their child has a genetic mutation. It's de novo in most patients. So it's a complete surprise to parents when the kids are born. Uh, they appear to be beautiful, healthy, adorable babies. Um, and it's only the ones with severe congenital defects and medical issues that usually get sent to genetics early on. As an example, um, my son was born, and in about a month's time, we discovered he had multiple brain abnormalities, heart defects, as well as a slew of other issues that we had never heard of before. So um, they threw us into genetics really early on. Um, and uh, this was about 12 years ago, so whole exome sequencing wasn't available. And we spent about six years doing every genetic test under the sun. And in 2014, we enrolled him into Duke, where they did WES, and they diagnosed him in a few months following the the discovery of the syndrome in 2015. So uh, um, children without notable issues at birth um, often start showing signs of things like um, feeding issues, hypotonia, which is muscle weakness, um, developmental milestones, delays um, as babies, as well as you know going into those early toddler years. Vision issues appear, things like aspiration and um, sleep disorders start to show up. The list sadly goes on and on. This um, um, syndrome is really complex. Uh, and so at some point in a perfect world, parents are sent to genetics because of all of these numerous symptoms. Um, the children so far have all been diagnosed with developmental, intellectual, and speech delays at a very early age. So, you know, that's usually a, a red flag. And uh, as they get older, endocrine and growth issues pop up. Many of them get sick often. The gait abnormalities become apparent and autism characteristics start to show. Surprisingly, though, about 100% of our kids with the syndrome have a very happy demeanor, which is also something that is now being not noticed at a very early age, very similar to Angelman syndrome. Many of these neurogenetic syndromes um, they're very similar to Angelman, Prader, really Syngap, Box P1, Billy McDermott. You know, they kind of have all the same um, issues arise. Are there any treatments available today? No, right now there's no FDA-approved treatment for ADMP syndrome. You're a, a true citizen scientist. You've thrown yourself into research in a surprising way for someone who does not have a scientific background. You've actually authored a, a number of papers on the condition and even identified the first biomarker for the condition. How did this come about? Well, that all uh, came about accidentally, I guess. Um, Tony, as I said, was one of the first kids diagnosed in the world with this um, and the first diagnosed after it was discovered. So he was by far much more medically complex than the original publication. So um, as soon as I found other families and started talking to them to see what their child had, um, 
if they had any of the medical issues my child had, I realized that these kids were much more complex than originally thought. Uh, so I wanted to do anything I could to help him. And uh, over time, I realized that this publication was missing important information about the phenotype. So I started my own parent-generated patient registry. Uh, and I started working with researchers around the world who were working on ADMP and shared my de-identified information. And that's um, how I really dove into collaborating with researchers. And, uh, and we started um, really, really um, expediting the, describing the phenotype in a very quick manner this way. You were growing impatient over a, a drug company that was dragging its feet on a, a possible treatment and began discussing a, a strategy with another parent to find a drug that could be repurposed for ADNP. What exactly happened? Yes, well, there has been a potential drug for ADNP that's been available for over five years. Um, and it seems like it was being stalled and we were not getting accurate information. Um, we tried to ask for a pilot study completely funded by us and still it was a no-go. Um, also during the first few years, I had been attending all of Global Genes events and uh, the one thing echoed in drug development for rare disease was repurposed drugs. And uh, so um, I had actually met a guy named Matt Might about five years ago at the same time working at the White House in precision medicine. And his son had just got re diagnosed before um, about three months before Tony at Duke. Same thing. You know, very little information. They suggested we find families. So at first, you know, I kind of chatted with Mike about that. And then over the years, bumping into him, um, he'd give me really great advice and the importance of collecting data. And and over the years, uh, he really became quite a rock star in the Rhodes Sea space and um, would really give me good information on what to do. Uh, and I was always able to ask him help and ask him questions. And by sheer miracle, he changed jobs and went to work at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, a couple of years ago, where another ADMP father worked um, as a neurosurgeon named Matt Davis. So it gets confusing because I, they're my two Matts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Matt Might was working on something which is uh, artificial intelligence totally developed. And um, Matt described it to me as a platform to use AI to look for any um, connections and possible treatments for rare disease with the intent of giving the information to patients and letting them do all the work, investigating and seeing if they could figure out a way to prove and identify if this was a possible drug candidate. And uh, it kind of created the perfect trifecta of good luck. And um, we got us some, he got us some information and then we were off to the races with ketamine. What was done? How did you, how did you come to even think of ketamine as a, a possible treatment? Well, he gave, um, he gave me, he sent Matt Davis a list and, you know, Matt Davis jumped online, of course, and started pulling medical, um, publications. And, um, Matt and I had been talking for some time after the whole CP201 drug trial seemed to stall. And, uh, we were really stumped and really frustrated. So when he got this information, um, it, uh, it just, it just looked like a very good candidate. And, um, Davis Matt Davis contacted me and we started looking into this more. Um, I had just returned from a drug development boot camp held by Ultragenics and Global Genes. So the moment he started talking to me about some of these things, I knew exactly what we needed to do um, as far as collecting clinical data and 
Davis as a doctor so he could pull all of the medical publications. And then he and I started developing um, and finding supporting information to present to our research teams in Mount Sinai. Some of the things we found were um, some animal studies that had um, used. Um, so, so high dose ketamine is neurodestructive. We found uh, um, several studies using low dose ketamine for completely other purposes where Researchers reported that low-dose ketamine appeared to boost ADMP expression in brain cells, and since most of the children with ADMP had a deleted or non-functioning gene, boosting ADMP expression in a healthy gene, we believe, can be therapeutic and, and help our children. Um, and so we started developing our supporting information uh, to present to our research team at Mount Sinai. Um, what was the reaction when you first approached your researchers at Mount Sinai and suggested that ketamine was potentially worth looking at? Well, the first reaction was kind of funny, actually. <laughs> so Matt and I had started working on this towards the uh, January, December, January. We really started jumping on this. And in February, I actually had a meeting at Mount Sinai in New York to discuss um, our ADMP study. And so, uh, this was just, you know, we, I didn't have any data with me or anything. And so after the meeting, um, I wanted to talk to them. But I have to throw in this, that just one month prior, ketamine had made massive news getting FDA approval for next generation depression drugs. So at the end of the meeting, I thought, okay, I'm going to let a couple of like the main guys know about this. And the moment I said the word ketamine, I got the whole, oh, ketamine. Everyone's talking about ketamine, ketamine, ketamine. I mean, I like sunk probably 10 inches into my chair and just felt really stupid. So I, I stopped. <laughs> and, uh, and then following that, though, Matt and I spent months researching seriously, like hundreds of pages of medical literature contacted and we spoke to like other scientists, collected relevant data. Uh, and we built the case for low-dose ketamine that uh, we would uh, present as quickly as possible. And we filed IP and then I called back at the director of Mount Sinai Cyber Autism Center uh, and enthusiastically presented our idea <laughs> with information. So uh, he thought it was great. He took it to his team that's led by um, a doctor named Alex Colvazon, and he's the clinical director at Cyber Autism Center for Research and Treatment. And they decided very quickly that it looked like a really good possible treatment. So. Uh, we handed the reins over to them and their drug development department. And um, these guys have been amazing. Within months, they prepared the applications and applied to the FDA. And just two months later, received the go-ahead to start phase two in January. Um, the entire process, shockingly, has taken less than a year. Um, and uh, I'm happy to announce that even despite COVID, we have um, pressed on, and with a little delay, we uh, are able to. We were able to just uh, last month open the drug trial on clinicaltrial.com for enrollment. So we are hoping to begin in July. And what's the study going to look like? What? How big is it? What are the endpoints? So this is a uh, phase two study with just ten kids right now, looking for safety and tolerabilities. Um, of low-dose ketamine in children with ADMP syndrome. Uh, they're going to evaluate the efficacy targeting core symptoms um, that aim to explore like the feasibility of objective biological matters and blood-based biomarkers. Um, 
using, uh, God, what do they say, RNA and DNA sequencing to measure ADMP expression and methylation profiles. ADMP has a really cool methylation thing uh, that they've discovered. We have two methylation patterns or profiles, which is not really seen, I believe, in any other genetic syndrome. Um, so they're going to use that. And then it will be a single dose open label study consisting of just five visits uh, after screening. And uh, the conclusion, we hope it demonstrates safety and tolerability of low, doses of low dose ketamine um, and anticipate identifying meaningful signals of efficacy uh, and clinical outcome measures so um, we can inform the future phase three studies. You mentioned you filed IP on the use of ketamine in ADNP. Uh, you're not planning to to market this or, or sell the rights to its use. Why did you decide to file for IP? Well, we did this because we wanted to protect our idea from someone else, like another drug company trying to develop a competing drug of hearing about this and trying to file IP to put on a stop to allowing us to do um, a drug trial with ketamine. Our, you know, we've had some weird things occur. And, um, you know, as parents, we've watched our kids suffer for, you know, me being the first person in the gate with ADMP and research. Uh, you know, at this point, I didn't care about other drug companies. All I was caring about was finding a drug and moving it forward to help our children. And I wanted to protect ketamine so that we could move it forward as fast as possible. Because um, this is about helping our kids find a treatment as fast as possible. So it's not about making money and it's not about, um, you know, crushing anybody else's drug trial. But it's about, you know, a, you know this too, repurposed drugs happen much quicker than than new drugs. So I wanted to make sure there were no hiccups and no stalls. If all goes well, when might you have results? Uh, we hope to complete... Well, this is a difficult thing to answer right now because of protocol. Um, you know, we were intending to go in and just, you know, hitting this out the park very quickly. Um, but realistically, with the uh, measures that Sinai is going to take probably to allow people in, um, patients and physicians, we are hoping um, within a year. But which in drug trial time is still lightning fast, but in our trial, in our minds, it's not. But in uh for a phase two study super fast <laughs> and if they're positive then what then we go on to uh phase three in major fundraising mode which uh phase three will be a much larger multi-site drug trial um sadly we have to raise the money for this trial ourselves because we can't get nih funding for such a small project um uh, the one saving grace is that this entire phase two and phase three will most likely cost around $950,000 total, which probably sounds like a lot to some people out of the industry, but repurposed drug trials like this are much faster and much less expensive compared to the, I think the median estimated cost for a drug trial and new drug is like $19 million and 10 to 15 years for developing a new drug and taking it through the FDA drug trials. So we could do this in a matter of years for less than a million dollars. This is pretty incredible and exciting. Um, additionally, we are hopeful, and this is a big thing, that ketamine may benefit other forms of autism and related neurological um, conditions where the upregulation of ADMP may be therapeutic. And so this could open the door 
and help a much larger population of patients. What do you think other patients or parents of patients can take from your experience as someone who, without a scientific background, has really been able to move the needle on a disease and advance a potential therapy? Well, you know, I have to say there's this whole model that I, that I mean, I followed from day one from, you know, I jumped into global genes from day one and their model of collaboration and, and working together um, and understanding, you know, exactly what's going on in every area is really important. And so like, you know, if it wasn't for our super amazing team at Mount Sinai, um, you know, we wouldn't be where we were. Uh, and, and also, you know, I would encourage people to um, go to these events. Like uh, I can't thank Ultragenics and Global Genes enough um, for uh, taking my millions and millions of emails and calls. I always say stock the two organizations. Um, and, you know, I attended their, you know, drug development boot camps and, and uh, you know, they're a vast knowledge of information for for parents like me who are completely scientifically illiterate, if you if you would, I, I I joke and I say though that I have I'm a top graduate of the Google School of Medicine, um, but uh, I mean I would tell other families you know there's there's hope if but you have to light the fire you have to continue um, creating and building these network of researchers who are interested in your kids. Uh, the way I started this was collecting information on my own. You have to show people information. They want to see information. And you have to identify what it what makes your, you know, child or your symptom your syndrome different. And so we were lucky. Um, the one really big thing too, I think, is grouping these and 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 working with other um, organizations that are similar. So one of the things that we've recently discovered with ADMP is it's a leading, it is one of the top leading causes of autism and um, neurodevelopmental delays. And there was a recent publication naming the top 102 genes linked to autism in January, led by a doctor named um, uh, Joseph Buxbaum, and he happens to be our lead of our ADMP study. And uh, ADMP, he believes uh, the relevance or the prevalence, I mean, is extremely high. We're only 275 diagnosed right now, but he thinks right now currently we're rivaling Fragile X and that we could we could have the prevalence of Fragile X at the weight at the at what the numbers are looking at right now. So, you know, this this could be a really very much larger rare disease than known. And because of its um, connection to all these other autism, neurodevelopmental rare diseases, I think um, working together and getting these organizations and these, you know, um, these um, sort of neurogenetic conditions to all work together is really important because, like I said, we really think that there are some um, other um, forms of autism and neurological conditions that do need to upregulate ADMP expression um, and, you know, downright ADMP expression when not expressed causes intellectual delays and behavioral problems and all these things you see in other, other syndromes. Sandra Bedrosian-Simone, founder and president of ADNP Kids Research Foundation. Sandra, thanks as always. 
Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.